0: Last announcement. Last announcement. Next week, we're starting a, a new sermon series called Relational Formation, and um, I'm so stoked on this. We're gonna be we're gonna be going through what the resurrection path to change is. A lot of us, when we think about change and how do we become more like Jesus, and how do we get over our sin, and how do we figure all these things out? I don't know, in, in culture, a lot of the times, and sometimes I even hear it preached, sometimes I even hear it coming out of my mouth, is like, change is this upward, straight climb. Like, boom, I'm gonna change and work hard, and the destination is up there, and here we go. Um, actually, what's modeled for us in Christ's life and throughout Scripture is what's called a resurrection path to change, and it has these little dips in it. And there's a cross at the bottom of that dip. And uh, we're gonna be looking through, we're gonna be spending a lot of time actually figuring out what scripture's model is for true heart transformation, not just like behavior modification that eventually just crashes. We all know that feeling. So I'm really excited about this, this series, and we're gonna start that next week. Okay. Thank you for hearing me with the announcements. At Camp 8 this year, Carmen spoke on uh, what it would be like if we all came back to the city as peacemakers. This is the word that she used a lot. What would it look like if we sent back 185 peacemakers into the metro Vancouver area to bring the gospel there and to be ministers of reconciliation is the fancy term. She did a great job. I loved it. And I thought that maybe we could just chew on that a little bit now that it's been like a month. It's like, how's that going? We kind of get this little moment to kind of recalibrate. It's like, okay, real life just hit. What's it like to be a peacemaker now? So uh, I think I was struck by there was this There was this really cool moment. If you were there, you'll remember, where Carmen just asked the whole camp, uh, as you feel led, shout out where you feel like you're called to go be a peacemaker and to bring the love of Jesus to you. And it was this really powerful moment where over 100 people must have just said, I want to be a peacemaker to my neighbor, my classmate, this, this, this sect of Vancouver, um, this type of people, this relationship. It was a really, really powerful time. And so I was, I, was sitting at the, 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 I was sitting at the drum set at the time. It was kind of mid-worship. And one of the things that was going through my head, I don't know, I always, I always have this mix, I don't know whether it's just me, but I always have a mix of faith and cynicism at the exact same time. I don't know about you. I always have them. They're always simultaneous. And I go back and forth between like, oh man, my faith is so stirred. I'm like, wow, that's really unrealistic. Oh man, my faith is so stirred. How are they going to do that? <laughs> you know, like just back and forth. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm just fighting for faith like we all do. And so I kind of want to just chew on this a little bit together for the time that we have. Is how? How's it going? How are we going to do that? And so um, uh, the, the biblical word for peace is shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before, and uh, shalom is a super robust word. It's it's kind of complicated. In Hebrew, they they use it for so many different things, and so instead of me trying to explain all that, because I'm not a Bible scholar, I thought I'd just play one of the Bible Project videos that might end up in your devos one day now, uh, and it's one of the word study videos on the word peace. So check this out. It's like three minutes.
1: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace.
0: So there you go the whole sermon right there. I'll just, I'm done. (laughs) So uh, one thing I want to draw your attention to from the video, I know there was a lot in there. So now you know. But there's one thing I just want to extract from that, that we're going to focus on today. And it's the Isaiah prophecy that one day, uh, so Isaiah is in the Old Testament, and it's prophesying the coming of Jesus, who's called the Prince of Peace. And he's somehow going to bring peace to the world that's being prophesied. So I want to read that scripture out. This is Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, just two verses. It says this. It's the Christmas verse, by the way. Uh, for, us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, I don't know if you noticed this when you first read it, but there's a lot of like king, authority, structure, um, almost sounds like domination. Just like he's going to come and just win as a king who's conquering. And I, I experienced this little tension as I was... Sort of just researching this. I don't know if I equate peace with authority. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that kind of a different, I don't put those two in the same category a lot of the time. In fact, I think I like to separate them, to be honest. But peace somehow is attached to the authority of Christ. Like he's the king, he's the prince, <laughs> like he's, he's gonna come and win and establish a kingdom. And I found those things to be a little bit, I don't know, that it didn't quite make sense off the top. I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to think, and when I'm just left to my own defaults, that more authority equals less peace. Doesn't that kind of make sense? I don't know. It just did for me. So you have more authority, and uh, that just means more bullies trying to get their way, I guess. And then those bullies clash, and then you get war. You know, like, when people fighting for authority means there's more conflict, right? Like, doesn't that kind of make sense? But somehow about this, it's like, oh, no, no, when Jesus comes... With ultimate authority, it's going to bring peace. Okay? This is, probably, this is a very amazing king, obviously. Uh, so, little, little, little tidbit on the word authority. It's like not a fun word to say these days. We don't really like that word very much. But actually, authority is, a, is an amoral word. Not an immoral word. An amoral word, meaning it has no morality attached to it. So, if I use the word authority and you assume in your head that that's like bad or good or you like have baggage with that word that's that's you <laughs> like the word authority doesn't have a stigma or it shouldn't anyways in the pure form it's amoral it doesn't have morality attached to it authority's a thing it's present or it isn't someone's in charge or they aren't the word authority doesn't it's it's not trying to tell you anything about the person who has it does that make sense? But a lot of us maybe have experienced authority that hasn't been so great, and so when we hear the word authority, we attach morals to it, even though it's kind of a benign word in and of itself. Benign meaning harmless, technically, in its, in its by itself. So uh, the truth is, guys, is that loving authority it is what brings about peace. Like loving authority. And by loving, I mean selfless. By loving, I mean Service. By loving, I mean uh, devoid of selfishness, of sin. Loving authority actually brings about peace. You probably, you've experienced this when, that's when, uh, it's why we have parents. Like, there's someone in charge who loves you, hypothetically, that's, and then when that's true, there's peace in the home. Um, my dad was just telling a good story yesterday of like, uh, so I have tons of siblings, and sometimes they'll beat on each other downstairs, and so he has this great story. Of, like, uh, what he'll do is when he's working up in his office and there's, like, mid-fight or whatever. And uh, he'll just come downstairs, you know, and see the boys on the couch, you know, like, mid-swing. And they'll look up and see dad. And what his big trick is, is he just smiles. Like, I'm trying my best Pastor Greg impersonation right now. He just smiles. <laughs> Not bad, right? Not bad. He just smiles. Um, and, uh, and then they kind of just climb off each other, don't you? <laughs> and uh and it's just like i'm here now and it's this loving authority and this peaceful thing and it's like i not even he doesn't even say anything usually unless it's really bad sometimes it's bad hey yeah um uh, but usually he just stands there and then it's just all back to normal he goes back upstairs i've seen it happen a million times and uh there's something about authority that brings peace right Is it making sense let me try to make a case so what does it mean to be a peacemaker then? How do we then extend that? Because I don't think we're supposed to walk around just assuming authority over every situation. That'd be kind of strange. I don't know if that really makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of holes in that plan. You can't just be a dad to everyone like that. That's, a, that's something you earned and were gifted with. Like, that's, that's circumstantial. Uh, so how do you be a peacemaker? Uh, I'll just say it and then I'll try to unpack it. So being a peacemaker is bringing things underneath the authority of Christ. It's bringing things underneath his authority. So like relationships, circumstances, confusions, desperations, longings, somehow being a peacemaker is bringing those things that you really care about underneath Christ's authority. So that kind of sounds really churchy, right, when I say that? Let's just bring it under God's authority. Okay, what does that mean? I've heard that a million times. How do you actually do that? Well, first, we've got to unpack what the authority of Christ actually looks like. So what does it look like? What does he describe it as? Christ describes his authority as a kingdom, as a kingdom that's already present on this earth that he's ruling. He describes it as a very cool word, kingdom. Um, I'll, I'll, these are his words. Matthew 4.23, it'll be on the screen, says this, uh, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Um, and so he's walking around going, uh, there's a kingdom coming, and I'm going to be the king of it. Very controversial thing to say, obviously. Uh, but that's what he was saying. It was like, There's a coming kingdom. There's not, it's not there's a coming philosophy. It's not uh, here's, a, here's a really great value set that's going to be better than your current value set. And if you just subscribe to these values... Uh, everything's going to be better. It's like, no, no, no. There's a coming kingdom. I don't think we know what the word kingdom means. Like, I think about the word kingdom, I have to like constrate Like, what even is that? It sounds medieval. But it's a, it's a, it's a group of people, a nation that has a single authority figure, one, just a king. And so, obviously, in history, there's really bad examples of when there's kings. But he goes around going, no, I'm a king. Uh, I got to go to Israel uh, t- two years ago. I've gotten to go a bunch of times. I'm super blessed. You should be jealous. And um, uh, the first time I went, I went because I thought Israel would be cool. And then the next two times I went is because our guide was just like the coolest guy ever. He's just, he's like, he's 70-something now. And he's just, he's, I don't know. Do you guys ever see those, if you're watching hockey and there's that beer commercial, Dos Equis? Do you know the, do you know the most interesting man in the world? You remember those commercials? That white bearded guy who's like, "I don't often drink, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis." Do you know that? Do you know that commercial? Am I dating myself? Anyways, he's the most interesting man in the world. Is what I'm trying to say. And uh, he's just this Hebrew Bible scholar who's like was a paratrooper commander in the Israeli army in all the wars, and knows the Bible like the back of his hand in Hebrew. It's just super interesting. Anyways. Uh, we were kind of going around and, and 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 one of the one of the lines that Jesus says you could put that up is is Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Maybe you've heard that. It's on the Sermon on the Mount and it's one of it's probably Jesus's most famous sermon. He goes blessed are the blah 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 for they for theirs is the blah 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 and he says it like 12 times. One of them is blessed are the peacemakers for they for they will be called children of God. So we we were unpacking that in Israel standing where he preached it. It was just super cool. You're, like, standing on the the mount, apparently. This, they know where it is. So you're there. And uh, Ari is unpacking this for us. And he's like, okay, so uh, when he, when Jesus is saying peacemakers, he's referring to a very specific group of people. Now, stay with me. This is kind of Bible history lesson but it's really, really interesting. Uh, the peacemakers were a term given to a sect of the Jewish nation who was currently under Roman oppression and rule in Jerusalem, the peacemakers were the name that was given to the sect who wanted to make peace with Rome. They wanted to just not be in conflict with Rome anymore. They were like, no, 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 this is God's judgment on us. We need to make peace with Rome because I think that our God would actually want us to be people of peace, not just people fighting for their own kingdoms. That's a crazy thing for Jesus to say. Like, translate that to go, blessed are the people who want to make peace with Rome. That's what you could translate it as. That's a very interesting political statement because Jesus is talking about a kingdom that isn't about the nation of Israel anymore, fighting for Jerusalem and taking it back from the Romans. He's talking about some other kingdom. So he's like, no, blessed are the people who want to make peace with Rome because there's something else going on now. How controversial would have that been back in the day? So... It's crazy. There's a, um, he's condoning submission to Roman rule. Like, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. There's something going on. There's something else going on. There was, uh, there was this group of people called the Sicarii who were like, uh, I, I don't know, they could best be described as like the KKK of the time. They would go around and f- try to find the peacemakers and kill them. They were like a rebellious group. They were like this extreme version on the opposite end of the spectrum of Jewish people going, we want Jerusalem to still exist. We want Israel to be a nation. We don't want Roman rule. And so all the peacemakers, they'd find them and kill them. And the Sicarii ended up becoming so popular that they were the main people fighting against the Romans 70 years after Jesus when the Romans just came in and went, enough of this, squash. And they just squashed Israel. Because the, the Sicarii became so popular, and this rebellious sect who wanted to fight for the nation of Israel's existence so bad that it, Roman just Romans just said enough of this. And they came through, and it was one of the greatest massacres, the second worst massacre in Jewish history. It was like a holocaust. And we were in the tunnels where the women and children were hiding, and they starved. Like, it was terrible and so Jesus is saying blessed are the peacemakers because he knows what's about to come and one of the if you really want to get into it there's a prophecy where Jesus is like he's crying over Jerusalem going no stone's going to be left on another stone because of your lack of repentance like Jesus's heart is breaking because these people are still fighting for the kingdom of this world and he's trying to articulate a different one it's very fascinating so um one more little Israeli fact just because it's fun Uh, the there's this crazy cool mountain thing with like a fortress on top of it that Herod built for himself. Herod the Great, the one who killed all the babies in the Christmas story, you know. And uh, he's got, a, he's got uh, this really crazy palace on this mount called Masada. And it's this, it, it, in its day, it would have been probably one of the most amazing architectural feats. And so during the Jewish rebellion, when Roman came through, the Romans came through and just steamrolled Israel, the Sicarii's last resort was they had taken over Masada. Their last stand was on this crazy fortress. And the Romans were so dedicated to eradicating the Jewish rebellion that it took them, oh man, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. It was years. They camped around this uh, Masada. And uh, Arya told us that um, what it costed the Roman Empire to kill every last single person on the top of Masada, there's like 700 of them up there, it would have been like 3 or $4 million in our day per person. That's what it cost the Roman Empire, to just squash them. And you know what's crazy? In Israel today, and Arya, he got a little choked up when he was talking about this. He's like, in Israel today, people from all over Israel come and tour Masada, and the people who held out there are like, kind of touted as heroes. Like, they're the last ones who fought for Israel's existence in this world. And he's like, I come up here and I just weep, because he's a, he's, a, he's a Jesus follower. And he's like, I just see, I just see a massacre and I see, a, I see a people who are rebellious and were fighting for something that wasn't going to bring life. And you just hear this guy unpack this. You're like, well, "I know nothing about the Bible, apparently. I just know nothing. This' is so rich. Uh, uh, anyway. So that's the situation Jesus is talking about with his kingdom. There's a, something different. There's something different. Uh, so. Fighting in the natural is not what the kingdom of God was being built on. Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says this. This is is talking about the peacemakers, by the way. That sect says this. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That sentence is wild, hey? He causes his son... To rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Translation, I'm in charge. There's something else going on. Stop living in this world. There's a new kingdom coming. I'm going to do what I want, but there's a kingdom that I'm inviting you into. I think I made the point. How do we enter this kingdom? How do we enter it? Uh, One more little tidbit on this peacemaker thing is their, their heart behind wanting to accept Roman rule was like, we deserve God's judgment. These peacemaker uh, Hebrews were like, we deserve God's judgment. This is, we've, been, we've been a wicked nation. We deserve Roman rule. Why are you guys fighting for this? Like We, need, we, we want to accept God's judgment on us in the form of Roman oppression. Uh, they wanted discipline. They saw it as discipline on themselves. How humble is that? And Jesus sings, "Blessed are you the humble people accepting discipline from father, from your father." Uh, only children are disciplined. right? Like if you don't have parents, congratulations, you won't get disciplined. But there's a way of seeing discipline as like this crazy gift of evidence that someone would love you so much that they would risk the optics of what this looks like right now, because they love you more. Than just giving you a candy every time you're upset. Like discipline's way better than a sucker when you cry. Because it makes you a person who can function and be loved. And so that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to have a family with children. And so yeah, there's some discipline that comes along with that. So I don't know about you, but most of the time I just fight against the judgment. Maybe like those, that the Sakari, right? The rebellious people are fighting against it. And I, I find I'm, I'm the same. Like, I want to build my own kingdom and my own thing, and so I fight against the judgment. And when someone, and when, when I hear, sometimes when I hear sermons on, you're a sinner and you have a wicked heart, my, my gut reaction is to go, mm, yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I'm okay. And, it, and it's not so blatant as rebellion, but it's enough where I'm like, I don't know if I'm fully grasping the level of judgment that's due on my heart right now for rebellion against my king. Like, every day, I want to build my own kingdom. There's not two options. God's not like, hey, I'm going to establish a kingdom, and then you can have this like, little little nation state, like the Vatican or something, inside. <laughs> like it's, it's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in charge. I, I just am. So that's, that's the option, because I love you so much, by the way. That's why I'm doing this. Um, and it, there's actually no space for you not being okay with how like, I, have to, I have to judge you and save you. So this is where we're going now. Uh, Jesus knew that he was coming to take the judgment upon himself, which is just the crazy part, right? Like he knew, he's like, hey, you deserve all the judgment that's coming your way. I'm gonna take it all. How about that? I'll take it all. This is the crazy news of the gospel. This is why Jesus stands out amongst everybody else in history, because he's like, there's a debt. Oh yeah, there's a debt. And you need to acknowledge that debt. You need to acknowledge the fact that you don't belong in my kingdom because you aren't perfect. And why don't I pay for it all? Both are true at the same time. So, now we don't fight against God's judgment. We can't. We have to fully acknowledge it. But acknowledging our debt and receiving Jesus' sacrifice is how we enter the kingdom. And that's the word repentance. We acknowledge our debt and go, oh, I'm fully aware of what I deserve. And yet, you've given me this crazy gift of salvation by paying for all of it on the cross. And so by acknowledging it and accepting you as a gift, I am now a member of your kingdom because you made me perfect. Like not, you know, we have to be careful with the word perfect. But the Bible says we're washed clean. And when God looks on the judgment of us, he sees Jesus instead. And he sees his blood instead. This is the good news of the gospel. So true and lasting peace is only found in God's kingdom because he rules it with perfect love and justice. He's in charge. That's what makes it peaceful. We enter this perfect kingdom. um, Oh, sorry. Uh, We enter this perfect kingdom by having what disqualifies us from it uh, be paid for by Jesus. Now we have a king, and we're saved. Now we have peace because someone else is in charge, and his authority is what brings the peace. It's amazing. So, peacemaking, I think... This is kind of, this is maybe, we can sum it up. Peacemaking is modeling and encouraging repentance and submission to Christ. Sometimes when I preach, I put emojis so I remember how I felt when I wrote something, and I have the one that's like this, right there. So peacemaking is modeling and encouraging repentance and submission to Christ. I don't like preaching this. I don't like that as the plan for peacemaking. Does anyone else wish there was a better plan? Like, does anyone wish you could just not preach repentance? And that's what brings peace. So I'll tell you what I do, this is what I do instead. Um, I just do self-help for people. And I think peacemaking is self-help. And I'm just gonna go around helping, f- help fixing everybody else's circumstances by working really hard at them. And a lot of them were shouted out, and they were beautiful. And that anvil service at the, at the chapel, people saying, I'm gonna be a peacemaker to my family. And you're like, wow, that is so, wow, that's amazing. You know what, my, what, you know what my mind would instantly jump to if that was what I said that came out of my mouth. I was like, well, I guess I, this is my flesh speaking, not the spirit of God in me speaking. I would say, well, it looks like I got to work super hard. Looks like I got to make sure that I get in between all the arguments, and now I got to make a whole bunch of phone calls, and well, I got for sure I can't screw up in that way anymore, and like that's what we jump to is all of these, th- and I think what we say when we're like, when we want to be a peacemaker is like, oh God, like would you just come and fix all the circumstances? And when I read scripture. He's going, oh, yeah, we'll make peace. We'll make peace. But you actually have to preach repentance because the problem isn't the Romans. The problem isn't your circumstances. The problem is you're selfish. And you need saving, and so do they. And so I got a plan. How would I, how I uh, lead so that we can bring peace? So here's what worries me is we're going to go around saving people from the Romans when that was never the problem. And I think, being a peacemaker isn't giving people circumstantial fixes. That's called being a rescuer. And in psychology, that, that's, that's part of the, the drama triangle, is you've got persecutors, and you've got victims, and then you've got rescuers, who just want to fix the circumstance. And uh, it's, it's, it contributes to this terrible, it's called the drama triangle for a reason. And at some point, someone has to stand in the middle of that triangle and go, we need a better leader, <laughs> we need a better leader. And maybe the people who are most inclined to be the rescuers are the ones who, in, who are maybe God's leading in a space to go... In the, in, in the psychology, rescuers are supposed to think. That's their job in the drama triangle, to bust out of it. Rescuers are like, think. Just think for a second. And uh, maybe that's what tonight is like, let's just think about what really saves us. And I think in Scripture, Jesus is making a case that he's the one. So... If we come back to our analogy from Scripture, it's a, uh, Israel, the Hebrews in the time, the Jewish people, they missed Jesus because they were looking for someone to save them from Rome, right? That's why they killed him. And Isaiah, remember the, the Prince of Peace that was coming? You know what they thought was going to happen? Was he was going to ride on some shiny white horse and just boot the Romans out. But then he shows up on a donkey and dies on a cross. And they're like, well, this, that wasn't what we were hoping for. And I think the message of the gospel is Jesus is going, I'm not trying to save you from Rome. I'm trying to save you from you. I'm trying to save you from your rule. And that's the message of repentance, and that's the freedom of the gospel. And it's really offensive. So I think sometimes we want a kingdom but no king, do you know what I mean? Like we want all the benefits of the kingdom, but we don't want a king, and it just doesn't work that way. So being a peacemaker is not self-help. It's so much better. So my example, this is what I'll wrap up, wrap up with. What I shouted out from behind the drum set uh, in that anvil service was, I want to be a peacemaker between church leaders in Vancouver. That's what I said. Just um, because what God's put on my heart. And uh, here's what I'm tempted to do. Here's what I'm tempted to do. Here's, here's how I'm tempted to free all the youth pastors' <laughs> clashes and lack of teamwork <laughs> Here's what my temptation is: is just to free them from Romans, you know, and to, and to create better circumstances. As I'm tempted to just plan a whole bunch of cool events that everybody wants to come to. Uh, I'm tempted to just run initiatives that just really benefit not only the you know the kids that don't know Jesus, but also you and your youth ministry. Let's have a win-win here, guys, you know. And uh, we're trying. I'm come, trying to come up with all these cool plans. And uh, yesterday, I, I got to sit in front of a bunch of them. Uh, we just had this like little summit. And uh, I didn't do a good job of this, but I was struck by, I'm like, I am way too scared to stand in front of, I don't know, 50 youth pastors and preach repentance from selfishness. Oh, that's a sucky job. But I just, if we're trying to bring peace, we need a better leader and a bigger problem and a better goal and a more whole kingdom and the authority required that's loving to lead us in a place that's peaceful. And, and instead, I walk around just trying to come up with stuff and circumstances that put a Band-Aid on the icky feelings of a lack of peace. And instead, I'm going, oh, man, would I be the kind of peacemaker that would preach Jesus and preach the gospel and preach repentance so that we could have a Father who loves us? Ah, uh, it's hard to articulate sometimes. So, um, I think as we worship God for who He really is, which is a King, like whether we feel like He is or not, kind of irrelevant, right? Like He just is. So, uh, as we worship God for who He is, He brings peace, and His kingdom's established. And so, whatever that thing you said was, and you didn't have to be at Camp Eight to want to be a peacemaker somewhere, by the way. So. Uh, whatever the thing God's put on your heart is, is like, I want to bring reconciliation and wholeness in life here, whatever that is, you know? Uh, I would encourage you to say, okay, Father, uh, how do I bring that situation underneath your authority? Because you're the only one who's loving and powerful enough to actually fix it. You're the only one who can actually restore your gospel and, and, and paying for it all yourself is the only thing that can, is actually worth rallying around. It's the only bullseye worth preaching. And I'm, I just, I don't want to be the kind of Christian that walks around just trying to um, get rid of all the bad feelings and all the bad circumstances. I really hope those go away. I don't like them either. But I, I think the gospel is going, God's going, I'm trying, to do, I'm trying to do something bigger than that. I'm trying to do something bigger than that. I'm trying to save you from death. I'm trying to save you from an eternity separated from me. There's a bigger thing going on. And uh, I think that's a humbling thing. So as, you, as you, we're walking around trying to be peacemakers, and maybe it's just obvious, but I, I, I just, what does it look like to preach Jesus and preach the gospel? What does it look like to, to, to start a conversation about how we're not the best life leaders and maybe that's what's contributing to all the chaos in our life? And maybe we should start seeing authority of Christ, at least, as not a negative thing, but the biggest gift ever. Because he's so powerful and wants to set us free. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, and as we, as we sing, I would encourage you to, 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 to worship Jesus as, as king um, uh, today. And we can start there and go, Lord, like... Here's what, here's what here's what my prayer is, just for us as we respond, is that God would show us how much, it's called the kingdom of love for a reason. You know, it's, those, those two words feel like they're in opposition to me sometimes, kingdom and love. I'm like, eh, I gotta give up a lot to be in this kingdom, I don't know. And I think that's just where trust comes in. And so as we worship God for who he truly is, I pray that, and we surrender that and we submit to him, that he would bring peace that only he can because he's in control now and he gets to give good gifts now because you're not in the way. It's a lot of trust, I know, but I don't know what else to tell you. So Father, we come before you as, as people who are just desperate to, to bring peace to our world. And I thank you so much for the faith that was exhibited, exhibited up on that island and what's going on in people's hearts now and all the situations going through our minds. Um, and Lord, we just confess that we need you in this like we just need you if there's gonna be peace because you're the king and I confess I'm trying to make peace happen on my own effort and it is exhausting and nothing really ever changes either and so Father I repent of my own self-rule and my own desire to rule my own kingdom and Father help me connect the dots between the chaos that I see to my lack of trust in you Father, I pray that these things wouldn't just be all heady today, that, that, that you would, by your grace, you would you would help it be concrete for every heart here. There's so many, the breadth of situations is overwhelming and it's a fight to believe that your gospel works in every case for me personally. But God, I know that it does. And I know that your love conquers all. And so would you make this message practical today? And would you show us how you are the one who brings peace? And I pray that peace would fill this place now as we worship.